0: So please turn in your Bible to Psalm 126, Psalm 126. In my reading experience, it is often the content of the very first sentence of an article that determines whether or not I read on, whether or not I read the entirety of an article. And it was the following opening sentence of a particular article that immediately captured my attention and provoked my further reading. The author, also a pastor, wrote the following. I had an epiphany while listening to Johnny Cash that transformed the way I preached the psalm. Now, this opening statement intrigued me. I also found it perplexing. Here's why. I I must inform you that I am am not a fan of country music. It's not my intent to offend anyone who is a fan of country music. I just think it's important for you to know that I'm not a fan of country music. Actually, in the interest of full disclosure, let me rephrase that. I do not like country music. music. Yeah, thank you. Actually, I can't stand (laughs) country music. I have a good friend, Bill Kittrell, who is a senior pastor of the Sovereign Grace Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And what he loves Johnny Cash and what he loves to do when I'm with him and riding as he drives is to turn up. Johnny Cash music as loud as he possibly can and to sing along with Johnny as loud as he possibly can and he does this not only because he enjoys Johnny Cash and his music but he does this to annoy me as well. So as I read this sentence about the effect of Johnny Cash and his music on this pastor and his preaching of the Psalms it was imperative for me to read on. So this The author of this article goes on to describe what preceded this epiphany. He wrote, quote, he was going away, going away with his wife on a vacation, and so he was compiling music, traveling music, he called it, for the journey. And he writes, my collection contained an eclectic mix, praise music, jazz, rock, country, My wife and I listened to this mishmash of musical styles all through the trip. However, he writes, it was in the middle of a Johnny Cash album that it finally hit me. It was not just ballads that told stories. Every song told a story, or at least part of one. Every song, in whatever style, connected in some way to a story and then he wrote that's what attracts us to music some part of the singer's experience resonates with us the psalms are the same they come from ancient people who experience the same feelings challenges and joy we feel now and as we read them their stories become ours my friends the author of psalm 126 he's got a story to tell he has a story to tell us and it's an intensely personal story it is a story of deliverance from great affliction and anguish it is a story of answered prayer and what I am about to read to you is a song superior in every way to Folsom prison blues walk the line or whatever your favorite song is by your favorite band because what I am about to read to you is a story and a song divinely inspired by God himself that describes our story, and today becomes our song. Amen. Psalm 126 A song of a sense. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him three points from this divinely inspired song that i want to draw your attention to this morning first the psalmist reflection second the psalmist's request and then finally the psalmist realization but we begin with the psalmist's reflection in verses one through three The psalmist begins this song by remembering and reflecting on a time when the people of God were liberated from captivity and exile. The smart guys, the scholars who serve us well with their commentaries, they they debate among themselves as to the occasion and whether this particular reflection is historically located in the Babylonian captivity or does the psalmist have a different captivity in mind. Psalmist doesn't specify the historical occasion for us. But what is important is the significance of the liberation and the suddenness of the liberation. So informing the composing of this psalm is the painful experience, the painful experience of captivity followed by a dramatic deliverance. A deliverance that was so dramatic it was like a dream and there is no doubt that the source of this liberation and the reason for this liberation is the Lord himself you will notice that phrase in caps the Lord in verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4 and in the psalmist's reflection of this liberation from captivity, the psalmist draws our attention to the experience of those set free. And his description of their experience is it's vivid, it's animated, and it's characterized by noise and some serious, joyful noise. Verse 1b, we were like those who dream the deliverance from this captivity was so wonderful they actually wondered is this real is this real or is this a dream verse 2 then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy Even the surrounding Gentile nations noticed, and they remarked in verse 2, the Lord has done great things for them. And then in verse 3, the psalmist sums it all up. Here is his summation of it all. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. They are so glad their mouths are filled with laughter. And as the psalmist reflects on their experience of gracious liberation by God from captivity, he he describes the response of those freed as unrestrained laughter and shouts of joy now my friend this this is not normal this is most unusual but this was the appropriate response to their sudden and unexpected liberation from captivity because they were humanly incapable of liberating themselves humanly incapable from liberating themselves from captivity because of their sin and yet God mercifully and graciously took action took action they did not deserve took action and intervened and set them free from their captivity their fortunes were restored it was all like a dream and my friends this morning the good news for us is there is a very real sense in which every christian can relate to this experience that this psalm points forward this psalm points forward to our much more serious captivity to sin this psalm points to a deliverance that we can relate to, to a captivity to sin and the penalty of sin and a deliverance that we can relate to by the grace of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Every Christian here can identify with this song and this experience that the psalmist is describing. My my fellow Christian, your deliverance was no less dramatic than the psalm deliverance actually I would argue it was more dramatic than the psalmist deliverance your liberation from sin was just as sudden just as unexpected just as undeserved so as we celebrate this 10th anniversary it would only be appropriate for us to actually begin the celebration by reflecting on our conversion because apart from that conversion There would be no 10th anniversary celebration (laughs) so reflect with me just for a moment on your conversion join the psalmist in reflecting on your deliverance from captivity to sin your deliverance from being an object of the righteous wrath of god was it not unexpected yes listen regardless of whether your conversion was a dramatic conversion or one that seemed to take place over a gradual period of time it was by biblical definition an unexpected experience and in light of god's holiness and our sinfulness your conversion my conversion was not only most undeserved it was most unexpected and here here is how the bible describes our captivity here is how the bible describes our liberation in the New Testament remember this as you reflect for a moment on your conversion it is a familiar passage but oh Lord help us never to grow familiar with this passage and this description of our deliverance in Ephesians chapter 2. here's 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 our deliverance and liberation described and you were dead of mankind now here comes the unexpected here comes the unexpected deliverance but god but god being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved that is what we are that is the deliverance that we are celebrating that is the captivity and deliverance the psalm the psalmist is pointing to this morning lord we have every reason to sing with joy this morning my friends oh my my I've been overhearing you interact with each other, overhearing you sing. It's characterized by a distinct joy that's informed by the liberation from your captivity to sin. I've been overhearing your conversations with each other. I love just listening to the sound of laughter. Oh my, when the church gathers, there should be this unmistakable distinctive that even the non-Christian notices. A distinctive of joy a distinctive of laughter what is all the joy and laughter about oh my non-christian friend here's what it's about at one point in our lives we were objects of the justified wrath of God God himself intervened in mercy and great love for us that we can never fathom in this life or eternity future. Instead of righteously punishing us, he sent and sacrificed his innocent, only innocent son. And he punished him with the wrath that we deserved for our sin. As he hung suspended between heaven and earth, and the wrath of God was placed upon him for hour after hour until he had satisfied it. He was punished in our place. In our place condemned he stood so that all those who turned from their sin and trust in him for the forgiveness of sin Experience this forgiveness of sin reconciliation with God so yeah the effect of that and the evidence of that is all kinds of joy and laughter all because of that deliverance from that captivity so let the people of God continue in their experience and expression of joy and laughter in his commentary on the psalms, Alec Matir just kind of adds to this point, sums it up well when he says, So, throughout this psalm, laughter, singing, and rejoicing are often the evidence of a salvation, listen, to which the recipients have contributed nothing but subsequent joy. We took no part in it. It was done for us we woke up to find out it was true as if it was a dream so may we never tire reflecting on the miracle of our conversion and the miracle of our liberation from captivity to sin because it was done for us it was done for us we contributed nothing we took no part in it and we woke up to find out it was true but notice with me, notice, notice the difference, this celebration of liberation from captivity. Notice the difference this reflection makes upon the heart of the psalmist. Because as he reflected on this past experience, it motivated him to pray for revival in the present. So secondly, the psalmist's request, verse 4, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. So, reflection of his deliverance from the past provoked him to pray for a fresh experience of God's mercy in the present. This this prayer in verse 4 seems to reflect the challenges of real life following deliverance from captivity. It it appears that time has passed and the experience of dramatic deliverance and its accompanying joys is, is now more of a memory more of a distant memory rather than a present felt reality however the memory inspires the psalmist to pray to pray that his good and gracious god would do it yet again do it yet again so the psalmist prays for god to restore their fortunes yet Again, he prays that God would do what God has previously done and what only God can do. He prays for another sudden, dramatic work of God where, listen, where dry land is suddenly filled with water from a downpour of rain and comes to life like streams in the Negev desert. And he prays that captive hearts are suddenly liberated and laughing as a result. If you study the language, it's, it's strikingly similar language as verse 1, only in verse 4 it appears as a prayer. And that brings us to the third point, the psalmist realization. The psalmist realization in verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, in his his excellent commentary on the Psalms, Derek Kidner just helpfully points out there's two images, two different, two distinct, two complementary images that are revealed in verses four through six related to revival and renewal among the people of god mr kidner writes the two images of renewal are not only striking they are complementary and notice this the first of them is all suddenness that would be verse four all suddenness a sheer gift from heaven but notice the second one the second is slow and arduous and notice this with man allotted a crucial part to play in it oh this very much should inform all that's going on today the psalmist presents us with two images for revival two images for renewal something sudden and something slow The the illustration for the sudden and sheer gift from heaven is the dramatic transformation that takes place in the desert land of the Negev as a result of a downfall of rain that suddenly transforms the desert into a garden overnight. But then the psalmist pivots and he articulates the second image of renewal and revival. And the second one, notice, is slow. And it is arduous. And in the second one, man is allotted a crucial part to play. And man is allotted a crucial part to play in the form of sowing. So the psalmist recognized that he must not only pray, he must also sow. Yes, he must pray for revival and renewal. But he must also sow. So in the first image, the results, they're sudden. Verse 4, they're sudden and they're undeserved. In the second image, the results come only, only after a significant period of time. A lengthy period of sowing. A lengthy period of sowing. Lengthy period of hard work. A lengthy period that's accompanied by heartbreak and waiting. And by the way, those results... Are undeserved as well but my friends both these images are to inform our lives there are times when God works suddenly and are we not grateful for those times when God works suddenly he works unexpectedly and it appears as we review his sudden and unexpected work that, that we made little or no contribution I mean maybe we participated in prayer but it was sudden, it was unexpected. By the way, this is my personal preference. <laughs> I like the sudden, the unexpected. I, Lord, I like it when you roll this way. Whether we're praying or not, you break into our lives, you break into history. There is a sudden and dramatic liberation from sin. That's my preference. That's how I'd like you to roll. That's how I'd like you to roll when praying about any particular situation. However, often, often, the reaping and the rewards come only after the hard work of sowing and watering and weeding And waiting. And by the way, normally the slow precedes the sudden. Where there is sudden, if you look carefully, preceding the sudden was the slow. There was a slow sowing that preceded the sudden. And actually, our story is so similar to the psalmist. And bottom line is, either way, either way, the source of fruitfulness is God himself. So in verse 4, the psalmist is pleading for a sudden work from God. And in verses 5 and 6, he is describing the slow and arduous work with man allotted a crucial part to play in it. And I'm sure you notice that the psalmist, he's drawing from the world of agriculture. He's drawing from the world of agriculture, given their familiarity with and dependence upon farming. And and he's drawing our attention to the world of agriculture. And we might need to listen up and give attention because too many of us beginning with ourselves are unfamiliar with the world of agriculture. That the metaphors of the Bible aren't drawn from the world of technology. They aren't drawn from the modern world. They're drawn from the ancient world. And they're drawn from the ancient world of agriculture farming last, last week i was i was traveling two weeks ago i was traveling and and uh so I had my iphone was trying to get some work done at the airport Started hitting a particular app wasn't responding so of course i did what we all do hit it harder hit it harder <laughs> hit it again well i mean what a false hope as if i hit it harder and hit it again i'm sending a message to the app hey i mean it i mean it but as I, I paused to reflect because the app wasn't yielding, I just realized that's the air I breathe. I just touch something and everything I want appears. And then I touch something else and everything else I want appears and my life is just touch, touch, touch. It's all instant and then I open my Bible the author of Psalm 126 makes eye contact with me. And he says, hey pal, that's not how God has designed the world. It's not how He rolls. And He's not going to conform to you or your iPhone. So you best listen up and pay attention. Because normally this is how He rolls. You begin with sowing. And you persevere in sowing, which results in waiting. And in the waiting, there's often heartbreak and tears. But ultimately in God's time, it will result in reaping. But he's in charge of time. Oh, I don't know how many times I reflect on this. God God doesn't conform to my calendar he's got a different calendar god, god has what one author calls a leisurely pace in fulfilling his purpose <laughs> oh yes he does and the psalmist is is familiar with that leisurely pace question for us this morning and are, are we familiar with that leisurely pace so this is meant to be instructive to us this this metaphor taken from the world of Agriculture. The psalmist realization, my friends, should become our realization this morning, particularly as we celebrate our 10th anniversary because this is your story. This song is your story. Today, we are reaping. This this is a day filled with joy and laughter as we reflect on the last 10 years, and it should be. But let's remember, we are reflecting on 10 years. And so we should have the same realization as the psalmist that there is a reaping today only because, only because of those who by the grace of God faithfully sowed over the years so that we can reap on our 10th anniversary so this is the divine pattern being revealed here it and and here's what's neat i look up from this psalm and i hope you do as well this whole thing is playing out right before our eyes it's playing out right before our eyes sowing precedes reaping the slow precedes the sudden tears precede joy Tears precede songs of joy. And so before I conclude, oh Lord, here's what I'm going to ask you to do as a church. Look up from this sweet song. Look up from your hard labor and be strengthened not only by the promise of God, but be strengthened by the fruitfulness of your labor. So it it would be most appropriate, most appropriate for us to honor those who over the past 10 years and longer have sowed, they have sowed, they have served, they have sacrificed in order to make this day of reaping possible. I'm going to read you a a sample list because these people should not be overlooked even though it certainly is not their preference in any way to be recognized today. And by the way, as we do this, all the glory for all this grace belongs to God and God alone. But in Scripture, we are exhorted to recognize those who have been a means of grace to us. And in the case of this Psalm, those who have sowed. So I am going by the grace of God to resolve, to make my way through this list without collapsing and falling apart before you because that wouldn't serve you. These are the founding leaders. These are those who sowed. They served, they sacrificed, they did so for years so that we this morning might reap. And quite obviously the list begins with Larry Malamant and his dear wife, Marilyn. there was a dear friend of mine, and I I must not say too much, lest I not be able then to compose myself. I just have countless memories of our friendship over the years, and yes, the story is true. When we were sent to plant a church in Louisville, I really had, at that time in my life, only two things on my to-do list. Serve and planting a church in Louisville. We got to Louisville, crossed out to do number one, Second was pray and do everything you can to make happen this church plant. That was to do number two. My list is done. I'm done. Yeah, my list is done. And and our lives changed in Louisville when this church was planted here. And since it was planted, we have been cheering you on and praying for you from afar. And yes, Larry was my choice <laughs> in terms of, I w- wasn't my decision, but he was my choice and I was arguing strongly. That was not difficult to do because of my history and love for you. And so Larry and Marilyn came. Now listen, that meant for them leaving children. That meant for them leaving grandchildren that that meant for them leaving the world that was familiar to them and a world in which they were fruitful but they left and they came here why to sow to serve to sacrifice And hopefully one day weep as they beheld the harvest. Now Larry has, at least in our estimation, left us prematurely. And presently he is beholding the Lord himself. And I'm thinking that the Lord's informing him what's going on. Just giving him an update. as to the fruitfulness of his sowing and sacrifice. And Marilyn, it just means the world to everybody that you are here today, as you served and sacrificed by his side. The founding leaders list, it, it, it goes on. How am, I, how am I gonna get through this? I don't know. Larry and Nora Earls. Oh, my, my, you know, if you've invited me, you're gonna get some old man stories. That's, that's just the price you're gonna pay. There's just no way you're not gonna get some stories, particularly on the 10th anniversary. Um, Nora served as my assistant for 18 years. Nora, in my experience and estimation, really has no peer. Um, she, yeah, she's like irreplaceable. I remember one time I was having a conversation at a conference with John Piper, and we're talking about all things theology. And, and, and so there was no lead into this. There was no build up to this. He just just stopped at one point and it obviously came to his mind. He, he, he just said to me, where did you find Nora? And I mean, I, <laughs> I, I just, I stopped and I, I laughed for a moment. And, and I said to him, I, I get it. You know, he, he had observed her from afar enough to, to, I'm sure he was perplexed. Why, like, why you and not me? I'm, I'm sure there were other struggles going on in his heart and soul. Um, I shouldn't say anymore, so I'm not going to. Chris and Jean Mays. Man, we might need a break. Oh Lord. Chris has not only been a faithful friend, he's been my physician for, you know, my primary care physician. You, you talk about as he's praying for trials. I mean, I would have been one of those trials in the form of, without a doubt, his worst patient. And he will not disagree if you go, hey, was CJ, was he exaggerating, embellishing? Chris will say, no, he was not. He was my worst patient by far. And I was. Worst patient, horrible patient, always had alternatives, ideas. I know nothing. I've graduated from high school and even that should be investigated, but I'm sitting across from my learned doctor with all of his diplomas and and I've got got some opinions about what we should do. So yeah, just. Chris and Jean participate as founding leaders in this church plant, why? Well, I don't know how clearly they saw it, but in some ways, I think they attempted at least to look out into the future. And even though it was a bit foggy, I hope they sowed in anticipation of reaping. And I hope that all of these people experience, just feel God's pleasure this morning. Now I got other na- I'm gonna stop this, okay? Tom and Cindy Ryan, Larry and Stephanie Wethji. I- Listen. You look. You look up. You look up "servant" in your dictionary. You'll see a picture of these two couples. Again, yeah, so many memories. Call to worship today from John Loftness. John and Nancy Loftness. John pastored at Covenant Life Church for twenty-four years. So he 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 was doing invaluable preparatory work with his life and ministry for this church plant. And I am so glad that he's here to participate now as one of your pastors. And then, Devin and Christine, what a gift you are. What a gift. What a gift. Give me a second. What a gift. You you bring this aging pastor so much joy as I Even today, just observe the transfer of the gospel to the next generation. And that God has allowed me to live long enough to see a transfer that I prayed for in my mid-twenties. And obviously the Lord knew when He brought you here that Larry's time frame was limited. And in His care for this church, He brought you so that you might step into that lead pastor role. Having served at Larry's side for years, now you have stepped into that role. So this church didn't have to go on a search for who would replace Larry. Little did we know, no, he's right there. And she's right there by his side. And all of this reflects God's kindness and care for this church there's a list of founding members no way i can read this there's just no way no no i'll, I'll be on the floor some chris will have to be carrying me off medical attention will be required but let me just say if you're a guest here this morning most likely sitting next to you most definitely in your row is a founding member of this church who has made all the difference in this church because from the day they've arrived They've sowed, and they've served, and they've sacrificed. And today is reaping day. So this should be really particularly special day for founding leaders and founding members. You should be connecting the dots. You should be realizing that that preceding all this was the slow and arduous work of sowing. And today is very much a day of reaping so all of these people they sowed their lives to create their this particular church they sowed their lives by serving and sacrificing and this must be pointed out not only because it's present and pronounced in the psalms but because it was their experience they sowed in tears they sowed in tears because they suffered for this church this was a church plant they never anticipated so this was a church plant that involved many tears but today my friends they all reap today we all reap and so let the reaping be with shouts of joy oh my let the reaping be with shouts of joy as these founding leaders and founding members look around look around and see what the lord has done over the past 10 years because we agree with the psalmist when he wrote this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes and particularly marvelous in the eyes of those who sowed finally this would not be complete if I didn't also make this final point Because you can't read verses 5 and 6 without thinking of the ultimate fulfillment of these verses. And the ultimate fulfillment of these verses is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus would have been familiar with this psalm, obviously. And this psalm ultimately pointed to Him. This psalm was ultimately fulfilled by Him. So just try, try to imagine that. Try to imagine Son of God making His way in His daily devotions through the psalms and He comes to Psalm 126. And He knows that it is ultimately about Him. And in Luke's Gospel, He reminds us of a particular scene as the Son of God draws near to Jerusalem knowing that the hour of His death is fast approaching. Luke writes, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. And then he would proceed, he would proceed to sow himself through his death. He was the seed He was the seed that had to fall into the ground and die, resulting in massive fruit. And when he died, he died certain. He died certain that his father would raise him from the dead. He died certain that he would... On the other side of His resurrection and His ascension, He would come home with shouts of joy, bringing all of His sheaves with Him. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. And so it was just a matter of weeks after His death and resurrection and dissension that we read in Acts 2 that in response to the proclamation of the Gospel by Peter, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So our Lord entered Jerusalem weeping, sowing His life through His death on the cross but my friends he has been reaping ever since he has been reaping ever since and here's the good news for us we have been included in his reaping from the sowing of his life through his death for our sins is it not all so unexpected it is it's just stunning it's stunning All this fruit, so stunning, so surprising, so unexpected, including sinners like you and me. So here's what I'm saying. Well, it's not what I'm saying. Here's what the psalmist is saying. The only appropriate response in light of his sacrifice, sowed for us, is laughter. Laughter. Joyful singing because, my friends, it is all the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Thank you for this day. Thank you for all you have done over the past 10 years to deliver all of us to this sweet day of reaping. And I pray in particular, Lord, for the founding leaders and the founding members that this this day would unfold in slow motion and that the tears this day would be tears, not of suffering, but tears of joy as they look around and see what the Lord has done through all their sowing and all their serving and all their sacrificing and even with tears. Here is what the Lord has done, so may they know a unique joy and feel your pleasure. I pray and I thank you in Jesus' name, amen.